Welcome to Broadband Conversations. My name is Jessica Rosenworcel, and I'm a commissioner at the Federal Communications Commission. And this is the podcast where I get to talk to women from across the technology, innovation, and media industries. And you get to hear what they're working on, what's on their minds, and what they think is the next big thing. And today, my guest is Massachusetts Representative Lori Trahan. And like all of us, she's had a lot of titles. She's a business leader, a former Capitol Hill chief of staff, a mom, and now we call her Congresswoman. And I'm really excited to have another New England native joining me as I'm from neighboring state in Connecticut. I'm looking forward to her talking some more about how she got to where she is and a little bit about technology and the work she does today. So with that... Let's start off by talking some more about how you got to where you are today. Well, I will say that, you know, this isn't, um, this isn't my first time in Washington. Uh, I grew up in Lowell, Massachusetts. I was a public school kid. You know, my dad was a union iron worker. I went, um, you know, I went to my local high school, uh, and then I got a scholarship to play volleyball at, uh, at Georgetown. And um, that informs so much of what uh, I do down here because it changed the trajectory of my life, certainly, being able to go to college. Uh, and I was the first person in my family to graduate from college. Um, after that, I came to the Hill. I started as a scheduler and worked my way up to chief of staff. Um, but then, if you could imagine, uh, it was getting a little too partisan. It sounds quaint to say it <laughs> now, but I actually switched careers um, after you know, almost 10 years on the, on the Hill and in Massachusetts politics, I jumped over to technology. Uh, I joined a startup in Cambridge, you know, right in Kendall Square. Uh, I was doing a little bit of everything, uh, first as the chief of staff to the CEO, and then I became the chief revenue officer there. Uh, and then I started my own business with two other women from Harvard Business School. Uh, we were working with companies, you know, on their growth strategies and, and some of their uh, workforce issues. We're trying to get more women uh, into boardrooms because, as, as you know, in tech, there is a shortage of women uh, in leadership. So it's, it was an exciting sort of journey. Um, but uh, what brought me here, you know, was this need to see more women walk in the halls of Congress. You know, over the course of my adult life, there, still only, there were still only 19% women in, in Congress. And you know, after the 2016 election, it, it ca- caused me to kind of look and take note, and, and then my local congresswoman announced her retirement, and I was all in. Um, I, you know, lived in the district that I'm now representing my whole life, and it, it felt like a, um, it was a moment of clarity for me. Oh, that's fantastic. I love that it started with volleyball, too. <laughs> yes, well, there aren't too many people. I mean, you know, most folks, when they see me and they take note of my height, they say, oh, basketball, and I'm happy to correct them and say volleyball because, uh, you know, as someone on the East Coast, you know, sometimes it's, uh, you know, it's considered a Western sport, but uh, we, have some, we have some great programs out here. Yeah, and it, for, and it brought you to Washington, and here you are again. So yes, in your yes. new role as Congresswoman, tell me how that background in technology helps you understand what are some of the most pressing public policy issues facing us today because technology is everything right now in discussions yeah, on Capitol well, Hill. You, know, you I, have a background. <laughs> yeah, I get to draw on two backgrounds, actually. You know, one, my, my time as a staffer certainly helped, you know, because you realize uh, how important the committee process is. You spend so much time in committee, so you really want to land on the right ones 
for me, that was armed services and education labor. But then you also have an understanding that, look, this place is a constrained optimization, right? There are constraints here that you can't move. <laughs> Unlike when you work in tech, sometimes you can be very disruptive and, uh, you know, you can change those uh, constraints. But here it's, you know, there's, there's been some things in play for hundreds of years, right. and you have to know how to still be effective uh, even working within some of those constraints. But I'll tell you, with technology, it's, um, I'm glad I have the background of knowing how much it can en enable uh, progress in the future while also having like a thoughtfulness around you know, privacy concerns or um, you know, uh, job displacement, things like that, because I just approach some of those issues um, with, a, you know, with understanding, like what personally identifiable information is, where, you know, that, where that rub or where that tension is. Um, do I wish sometimes that it operated more like a tech startup? I mean, this notion of piloting something, maybe testing, grabbing the evidence, iterating on it, making it better, that whole uh, process, I really do miss. Right. Because that, it's not something that you get to do here. That is um, so true. There's so much risk aversion at doing something nationally at that scale, and there's less interest in trying to sandbox a problem and learn in an iterative fashion. And yeah. policymaking um, would benefit from perhaps doing a little more test case like that, especially when you think about how much technology is challenging some of the laws that exist on the books today. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, there, sometimes you, you can do that maybe in your own district, like you can pull a few partners together, whether it's a local community college, a, a company that wants, you know, a more diverse workforce. And, and you know, maybe you can uh, get them to pilot it and hope that, you know, with success, you can make that contagious as far as funding it at, a, at, at scale. But it's not, you know, there aren't a lot of... Um, you know, opportunity to do that from a legislative or policy perspective, you know, here. So it's uh, here, in, when I say here, I mean in Washington. So it's, um, yeah, it's building that muscle, though, I think, is, as you know, we've seen a lot of uh, new, uh, you know, freshmen come into this class, diverse backgrounds. Um, you know, maybe, maybe we can build that muscle yeah. together. I think there's something to that model. I think we're going to be counting on you. Um, another thing that you yeah. mentioned when we were just talking a moment ago was about women and leadership. And, you know, I've heard from a lot of women entrepreneurs that getting an idea off the ground can be really hard. But it's even harder when women are trying to start a business because there's this challenge of getting access to capital. And I know that you advised a lot of companies and tech companies on best practices in this regard. And I'd love to know what advice you have when you have a great idea, you're contemplating a startup or a business that might involve technology, what is it you learned from your own experience? You know, you have to remind yourself while you're doing it. I mean, there really is something to launching your own business, right, and taking an idea um, to, you know, something successful uh, that, you know, people will buy in the marketplace. Um, but then also personally as a working mom, I mean, I – uh, it, it also brought all the promise of autonomy and, you know, flexibility down, you know, the road, right, sort of uh, controlling your own fate. Um, so it's so worthy to sort of really bet on yourself uh, and, um, and to get off the sidelines if you've got a, a great idea. You're right to point out, I mean, look, access, for cap access to capital is still such a, a steep climb. Uh, even, 
even though there are, you know, more organizations out there today that are helping more women in this space, you know, whether they're investors or funds that will only um, uh, invest in women-owned businesses. And I was just with uh, Desh Deshpande, who started E for All, Entrepreneurship for All, and um, and they, they've cropped up all around the country trying to make entrepreneurship uh, more accessible to people in, you know, lower income communities and uh, and start small businesses. And so the investments are smaller there, but they don't need to be as as big because the startup costs aren't as big. And so, um, and really, you know, I went to a high school. I went to Lowell High School. It's like a, a gritty working class city. And, you know, entrepreneurship wasn't something that was discussed, right? I mean, it wasn't right. so people in my community were, were, we lived in a culture of starting your own uh, your own business. And so I think, you know, bringing that into like K through 12 programs, so people kind of develop um, uh, the skills and the tools or the, or even the, the thinking around that as an option or a career path and, uh, and trying to surround our, our young people with those resources would go a long way because it shouldn't just be something that you know a few have access to uh which is how which you know which is how it's been uh for decades right right and um it'll be neat to see what you can do with that in your own district because um it would be good to see ideas coming from so many more places and influencing our business and civic culture including the third district I i look at the education labor committee as a place to really have some of those discussions i mean i've got five and nine year old daughters my my nine year old you know She's in the STEM fair every year, and she really likes science, and uh, and that's great because it shows that we've now, you know, put a focus on bringing STEM and STEAM into our classrooms at young, young ages, but even she probably doesn't understand, or we could do a better job making the connections of, well, why science and technology? Like, what what, what does it lead to? It, well, that's that's your wishbone app, or that's, you know, that's all the things that you enjoy on your screen is, you know, a potential uh, job opportunity or entrepreneurship opportunity. So I do think we could do a better job in our educational system of making those links so that people can really buy into those uh, fields. That makes a lot of sense. So switching gears, another issue that you and I have worked on together involves privacy and consumers' geolocation data. So let me just quickly break that down. All of us have mobile devices. I mean, they're with us. They're in our palms. They're in our pockets. They're in our purses. They are with us at all times. And there's so much power we get from that. But when they're there, they're constantly pinging a cell tower. They are learning information about where we are at any given moment. And that powers them. It makes them work. But one of the things we learned here at the FCC was a kind of shady black market had developed for that geolocation data from all of our devices. And uh, I found that disturbing. I know you did, too, because, you know, that has real impact for our national and personal security. So I put pressure on the agency and my colleagues to do more to investigate what's going on. And I know you've done some work on Capitol Hill with that, too. So I'd love it if you could describe to me why this issue interested you and also what you think we can do about it next. So I'm so glad you brought it up. Uh, and Jessica, I just want to thank you. Uh, for your leadership and, uh, and frankly, your partnership, because there was something that we could do legislatively. I was able to pass an amendment in the fiscal year 20s financial services 
um, and general government appropriations bill that we passed in June, and it was to compel the FCC to provide an update into the results from its investigation into the sale of geolocation um, data. So, as you mentioned, it, it's it's been over a year uh, since Congress requested that the FCC undertake this work so that it so that we could better assess the. Um, the policy prescriptions to safeguard American consumers, but it was it was mind blowing um, to to you know to hear that for just a few dollars, you know, stalkers, predatory abusers could buy this information um, and and basically enable them to prey on victims. So that was just a, a shocking reality that not just that didn't just set off alarm bells with us in our office, but should do that nationwide. And so um, Congress will be in a position once we have the data to remedy this situation. So I think passing this was a was a was a great first step in terms of you know getting um, the results of the of the reporting and the findings of the FCC so that you know we can then legislate uh, and make sure that consumers personal security isn't isn't at risk I mean there's so much to talk about when it comes to legislation for privacy but geolocation yes. to me is really important because it's try to imagine crime domestic abuse espionage yes. all of these things could be really, really problematic if this kind of market is allowed to continue to develop. And so I'm so grateful that you've taken an interest in this issue and that you're putting pressure on this agency to be upfront and find out what's going on. So well, thank you very much. Well, I'm fortunate to have you as an ally in the fight. So uh, thank you. Mutual affection society right here, right now. <laughs> and um, I'm, I do know that this is something that we'll keep working on. I know it's important yes. to every one of us who relies on these devices. So usually I like to close this out by asking a few questions at the end, a quick take on how you use the Internet. And, oh, boy. Um, yeah. The first one is... <laughs> I don't have to divulge my search history, do right? I? No, 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 no. <laughs> We're not going to tell anyone about your cookies or anything like that. The, the first thing you did on the Internet, so way back machine, what was it? The first thing I did on the Internet? Yeah. Oh, that's... Um, I'm... You know, it had to have been email because I graduated from Georgetown in 95, and I left with an email address, um, and it was the first one I ever had. Uh, so, yeah, it must have been, it must have been email. But, uh, yeah, it's funny. So when I worked at the startup, my, my former boss, he, um, he came up with the technology t to the data compression uh, technology to open up pictures on the internet, and I think that's like roughly the same time. So I, I certainly wasn't shopping on the internet anytime, uh, anytime around then. So it's hard to, it's hard to buy things without actually seeing images. So yeah, it must have been email. Ah, okay. So now really mundane. What was the last thing you did online or on the internet? Oh, I'm sure I posted. Uh, I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure it was a tweet. Yeah, I know. I, a lot of a lot of duties for social media for members of Congress and a lot of other people these days. So that's probably yes, a new yes. thing in your professional life, I imagine. So now, now, now we're going to go deep or deepish. Okay. What do you think the future of the internet and the whole world we have that's digital and online? What do you think it should look like? You know, it's unbelievable to think about that question. I mean, it's. Uh, you know, I'm not great at predicting the future. Um, well, usually people but, who say they are. 
are not in the rearview mirror. So just go ahead anyway. But you know, it's funny. Like my my five year old started kindergarten in um, in uh, the you know in September, and you know I was home for it. We're on a district work period, and and she stuck her Alexa in her backpack, and uh, and I looked at Carol. I'm like, Caroline, what are you doing? I'm like, you can't, you can't. she's like, well, what if I need to call you from school? And I just thought to myself, you know, there's there's so many instances where online is like integrating into our offline lives. I mean, now we just like yell into the air and, you know, we can have shipments at our door or you can, like, she calls me all the time from her Alexa device. And when I think about like wearable technology, I mean, I just think it's going to be, it's going to go across the convenience, um, uh, you know, spectrum of how can we just say what we want <laughs> and it will, you know, be there in lightning speed. And I think digital has this unbelievable capability of enabling that. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I think in many respects, we're at the end of the smartphone revolution where it's focused on that and we're going to have connectivity built into the world around us. Yeah. And what you're talking about is really about that next generation of technology that's going to feature that kind of connectivity everywhere. Right. Lots right. of challenges, lots of opportunities with that. Yeah, exactly. We'll be, we'll be, com we'll be making sure that privacy is protected during all of it. I know we are, we are <laughs> counting on you to legislate and get this right. You know, it's the future <laughs> for your kids and mine. Um, all right. So you mentioned social media before. So tell me where people can follow up to date with the good work you're doing in Congress. Oh, well, thank you. I, uh, so I'm at uh, Rep. Lori Trahan. That's my handle on Twitter, on Instagram, and Facebook. Um, you know, my, my website uh, is trahan.house.gov. And, yeah, if folks want to sign up and get occasional email updates, we will promise not to flood your inbox. Uh, but that's, a, that's always a good way to kind of keep up to, uh, keep up to date with the work we're doing. Well, thank you, Congresswoman. I'm so glad you agreed to join us today, and I'm so glad you're doing the work you're doing on Capitol Hill. Oh, thanks so much, Jessica. I look forward to seeing you soon. All right. Thank you.